This episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast is sponsored by William Chernoff. That's me. I'm a jazz musician, and I have a song coming out with my friend Will Clements. He sang it and wrote the lyrics. I wrote the music. It sounds like Chet Baker, Diana Krall, Kurt Elling, and other jazz vocalists. And it's been played a bit on Canadian community radio in advance of its release. It's coming out everywhere on Friday, July 30th, 2021. So if you want to hear Don't Miss Me by myself and Will Clements, go on over to williamchernoff.com to learn more. I would say that this is 100% jazz. Yeah, it's a jazz album. I think it's got improvising, it's got jazz chords, whatever that means, but it does have does have jazz chords in it. It was written by jazz musicians. I, it's a weird thing to define usually, but yeah, I think this is this is jazz. We set out to make jazz. Welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff. Today, I spoke to two guests, David Lavoie and Carson Tuoro. They've just released their first album together called Urban Repurpose. It's a jazz album with lo-fi influences, and it came out on Inner Ocean Records out of Calgary. That's where David is based. Carson, based here in Vancouver. They broke down how they made this album, all the different instruments they play. It was fun. Please enjoy. All right, David Lavoie and Carson Toro, welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. You are the first dual guests we've had so far. It's an honor. (laughs) Hopefully it's fairly seamless. I heard that Urban Repurpose, which is the name of your album, is the name of a store at Park and Tilford in North Vancouver. So what's the connection? I like that store. I went there a lot. Um, When there even before it was at Park and Tilford, you would go there all the time. That's so true. Yeah, because there was a sound studio that they moved into, and it's actually a pretty cool building. I forget the company that it was before, but yeah, go check it out. It's a cool store. What do they have there? It's like a reused store. So they have like used lumber, furniture, just like random stuff. It's kind of like a thrift store, but there's no clothes. It seems like it's almost like stuff for film sets, or at least it was. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people get their props there. Yeah, I don't know. Anytime I've like needed something kind of random to go. David, I think you made a lot of use of it at, when you were at your place living in North Fence. So. I was kind of like friends with the guy, or not friends, but I knew the guy that owned the place because I had gone there so much and he'd give me like really good deals. Yeah, the roots of your collaboration are in North Van. So talk a bit, go back about how you two started making music <laughs> together. Well, yeah, so we were... We started jazz school together in uh, September 2013. We became friends that year. I think it was probably the next September or October. I had been working in Ableton for a long time, just doing random electronic music stuff and maybe some instrumental hip-hop. And then David, at some point in the fall of 2014, I think, asked me to show him how to use Ableton or at least just kind of the basics of it. And we started that, you know, just kind of running down how to how to work on it and we got into sampling really quickly i think that was basically what what we started on was he wanted to know how to just like chop up a jazz record using a feature in ableton you can kind of emulate an mpc sampler so yeah we just started doing that and that's how the project that was then called chill evans started um with some really really bad music (laughs) we listened back to the the original the original chill evans stuff which is not anywhere to be found i think we took it all off the internet 
Yeah, that's that's how I remember it happening. I mean, we experimented a lot with where we were finding our samples. I got, I think Brad Turner gave me like all of his old cassettes. So I had just loads and loads of random jazz cassettes that we sampled from. Yeah. And I think even some reel-to-reels. I think I got a broken reel-to-reel. And we like we manually wound it. Yeah, the motor we, on the the motor on the reel to reel and the reel to reel was broken, and so we like would manually wind it with a pen, and so it kind of be all warbly. <laughs> we were just to- totally exploring and messing around together and just having a laugh, basically. Yeah, it was all very unserious. I think it was kind of an antidote to like being in music school, right, where everything feels a bit like self serious and stuff, and it was just like. Yeah, music that really we you know would never make any money, would never hardly anyone heard it. It was really yeah, we were just hanging out and having fun. Does it still have that vibe now? It's definitely still fun. It's just a little a little more like I would say now it's a little more creative. Like we were a little more further along. We we basically on some of those earlier stuff we really didn't care if it sounded good. Like it really didn't matter. It was purely about like you know, finding a really goofy sample or like seeing what it sounded like to play a cassette and like shake the cassette player. And we do a little bit of that now, but I think through that exploratory process, we now get to a stage where it's like, we do kind of know what we like and we have a little more of a sense of like what we want something to sound like. And I don't know, it's a little more musical now as well. I think David does a lot of like what I, it is composition and songwriting. And Chill Evans was not that. Like many, many Chill Evans beats are just, uh, a, a loop that's chopped up or a sample of a jazz record that's chopped up and you know two drum sounds and that's that was it it was kind of just like throwaway stuff in our not all of it was throwaway some of it we're really happy with too but i think at, earlier on it was more it's supposed to be pretty bad yeah <laughs> yeah we're definitely more selective with what we keep and throw away now and we're more functional producers now than we used to be like we almost kind of learned how to become producers for this kind of music by just messing around for such a long time that it just ended up materializing into something i will say that we do still make throwaways like as as a goof or whatever there is still like a humor element to what we do where none of it it makes it to the final to the final stretch or the final product but yeah there's plenty of times we'll send each other something completely just like we think is really funny that is just like a really bad idea but that is yeah. But some of those have actually turned into like real pieces and we've kind of like honed them a little bit. I feel like loud on the, or what, 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 is, what is loud called? The actual uh, <laughs> oh. night, what is it called? Night something? Night function, I think is what it's called. Night function started silly. That was yeah. actually supposed to be a joke. And Bucharest started silly. That was supposed to be a joke as well. Yeah, I think that one started just as like a goof on like how how ridiculously like compressed and boomy and stuff could we make it and then... <laughs> it started sounding pretty good so we kept it yeah we'll start with the concept sometimes like i'm just gonna make something really noisy and then like like, see if we can change it or chop it up re-chop it up or something i love that you mentioned producing for other people because you did that like last christmas when you made the track pennies for christmas with nina soro what's it like to work with other people like that it's our first time doing something that specific. I'd done kind of like little bits and pieces of like, or helped people before, but I think this is the first time that Nina reached out to the two of us, like as a duo and said like, Hey, I'd like to thank you guys to produce a song I wrote. I thought it was really awesome. It was really like, it first of all, takes the pressure of the songwriting off of us because I think we're probably both stronger producers than songwriters. David's maybe 
a better songwriter and composer than I am, but like the song was done. And so we just had the creative expression to just like produce the track for and with her, but we, she gave us a lot of freedom too. She gave us a couple uh, ideas about how, you know, but the source material that she gave us also wasn't really anything like the final product at all. Like she gave us, like mentioned a track by Bon Iver. There was another kind of more folksy track that she referenced and then something more electronic. And yeah, we kind of made it like an r and B. I I don't know. We, we, I think her voice sounds so good over that kind of like lo-fi R&B stuff that it was a yeah, really good experience. I would do more of it for sure. I mean, if, if she ever wanted to or anyone ever wanted to. Yeah, that was one of the first for me, I guess. But I had done some other little projects for some other people. Like I made like a 60s spy film kind of soundtrack for somebody and i don't know i've done a bunch of like little recording projects but nothing that was like start to finish kind of us the only producers doing it you've also both released music with other ensembles so talk a bit about your previous records and what you learned from them I, 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 you know, mostly these days, it's my only other thing is a project called Tour de France, who I think Rhythm Changes wrote about when we put out our last project, our second EP. Uh, that is also a, like a remote electronic music collaboration, although it's mostly dance music or like more still indie house music, but it's, it's more kind of down the middle uh, dance music and electronic music. So I've been doing that for a couple of years with a friend of mine that I met at Apple when I was working there. Still do that you know, as much as we can, we both work full-time jobs. Uh, my collaborator, Luke and I, I play drums in, in your band and I, I drum in a couple, couple different groups when we can. It's, you know, we're just, you know, at the tail, hopefully at the tail end of COVID now. And so I'll see kind of what groups are still, uh, active and doing a lot on that side of things. But, um, yeah, I was, I've been a kind of a drummer sideman for since music school, um, and slowly been transitioning more and more to just, just electronic work. But, David, yeah, has a lot of other projects too. Yeah, we, me and Carson played in a band for a while like called Wild Fryer. We recorded that album, I think in 2017 or 18. It was just like a little EP. And I think it went, yeah, it went to cassette. But that was like a little fun band that I, I don't know. I kind of, I wrote all the music for and it was loosely based off of the music that I grew up with here in Calgary, which is kind of like post-punk Um but I mixed it with a bunch of jazz because I had a bunch of really good jazz players in my band, which I had never had before, which was a super fun project. And then there was, um, yeah, I had like a straight ahead jazz quartet um, with a couple, you know, students from CAP and, and also a teacher there, Brad Turner, playing keys for me, which was just an incredible experience. And um, we recorded an album in 2019, released it right at the right before the pandemic in 2020 that was just you know straight ahead jazz i i wrote all of that music too though there was no standard material on that record either so that was a compositional effort i guess um yeah and then there's like all the chill evan stuff that we worked on together what was the actual moment when you decided to rebrand from chill evans to your names when we made this album we knew it was going to be different than the rest of the stuff we've made because we were planning on let's let's do something like real you know like we've we've both moved i I moved cities and we're thinking okay how are we going to keep this going because before where our music making like process was to hang out in person and just 
make music together. Now it's like, it has to be more intentional if we're going to be far apart from each other. We entered the process differently this time. And we were like, okay, let's not use as many samples. Let's, let's actually write some stuff. Let's try to make things a little bit more through composed and less loop based. Then we we're thinking, well, we can't just call it Chill Evans because it's not the same project anymore, really. Yeah, I think it kind of like put a nice time box around Chill Evans as well. Like that had that project had a specific sound, it had a really specific method. Actually, that's maybe the biggest distinction is that Chill Evans was really based around like we choose a sample. Typically, is David chops the sample, I do some drums back to David for you know, maybe if we added anything else, horns or whatever, back to me for effects, and then it's done. That basically was like the formula for every Chill Evans beat, and these all went a little bit different than that. Mainly that the basis wasn't a sample, except for maybe on one track. But even in that track, I don't know if we started with if we started with the sample. It was clear that like by the time we were wrapped up, and, and even before we'd settled on Urban Repurpose as the title, that it wasn't going to be called Chill Evans. It just was a completely different different thing. When Carson released Tour de France 2 with Luke, I asked him which tunes were Carson tunes and which were Luke tunes. So here are their Carson tunes and David tunes? They're mostly David tunes that I... This one's like the, the, the division of labor is a little different than like, say, how we have it in Tour de France, where Luke and I maybe contribute an equal amount of musical material. I think that for most of these tracks, it's David with contributing most of like the playing and the composing and myself doing a good chunk of the like producing being like sound design drum programming um making some of the decisions about how how certain things go uh the only ones i would say that like i think i started are your name was my i at least started that one although david worked a fair amount on it um and then there was another one that had started as something like a little fun video we did for Instagram that turned into a longer track. I do not remember. The titles all changed. We changed, changed the titles at the very last minute from the Ableton file names. So what's it called? Jeez, I should just look at the track list so I know what it's called. But um, Yeah, I would say like the synth heavy or synth centric songs were started by Carson in his right because then I basically just took the inspiration from that point on and just added blowing or like extra chords or whatever. And it kind of morphed into something after that. But the initial conception was, was Carson's. And also, you know, Carson did a lot of the, or, you know, most of the mixing did most of the heavy, heavy lifting there as well. Oh yeah. If you don't mind, maybe just break down for anybody who hasn't heard any of your playing before. What instruments do each of you play and how did that relate to this album? But just in general, Oh yeah, I so my degree was on the drums, uh, so I do play drums. Although on this project, it's drum programming um, that I do, which is a similar part of your brain, but a completely different process. Pro- programming electronic drums and choosing samples. I also can you say like you know arranger's keyboard or producer's keyboard or like composer's keyboard is called sometimes where like I I probably couldn't ever play a gig on the keys. Um, I'm not very fast, but I can you know hear things and visualize and, and I know my way around a piano a decent way. So I, I'm playing a lot of the keys and, and uh, synth stuff on, on the project, but David's basically handling everything else, David. Yeah. I, I, my major in university, we went to the same university, by the way, uh, was trumpet. So that's been a main instrument for me since completing my degree and doing it. But I also studied guitar like for a longer period, 
amount of time than I've actually studied trumpet. So I would consider myself a functional guitar player. Um, and aside from that, there was some like other instruments on the album that like I just kind of picked up or whatever. Like I, I rented a cello and I just kind of had it sitting around and I did some pads and some pizzicato that I don't know, don't, don't listen too closely to that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> also, yeah, I would say I'm a, like a, an arranger's piano player. Like I, I would not yeah. call myself a gig piano player at all. Like don't hire me to play piano, please. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I do a, lo- a little bit of extra production work on the side and it's pretty like writing chords and melodies and stuff. And I just do it all on the piano because it's so easy to like do that for MIDI compared to like transforming your guitar MIDI into or whatever, you know, like that's, that's a garbage process. So, yeah. I see in David's video screen for listeners that he has a bass behind him. And that makes me wonder which one of you is the primary bassist. I do play bass. I just, I play bass like a guitar player, so I don't really count it. I don't really know what I'm doing. I just, I just do it. And a lot of the bass actually on the album was digital too. A fair amount of it was you though. I think like besides a couple of tracks where I'm playing, like where we're doing synth bass, all like all the, all the, the acoustic or r- the real bass sound, that's all David. So to what extent would you say this music is jazz? I would say that this is a hundred percent jazz. Yeah. It's a jazz album. I think it's got improvising. It's got jazz chords, whatever that means, but it does have, it does have jazz chords in it. It was written by jazz musicians. I, it's a weird thing to define usually, but yeah, I think this is this is jazz. We set out to make jazz. I thought you were going to jump into like a jazz can-con thing there where it's like maple. It's like it was written by a jazz musician. <laughs> jazz can-con in a jazz studio. In a jazz studio with jazz producers. Can-con. That's true. If we, we could probably get more radio play if we really double down that this is jazz and it's Canadian jazz. And now every community radio station in Canada has to play it a lot because there's like three albums that come up per month in Canada for jazz. And I guess I could mention like Inner Oceans, which they're trying to get more jazz on their label. So they released my first jazz album. And then I kind of like said, hey, I'm working on this other thing and it's kind of jazz and they're like, great, we'll do it. You know, they're like, yeah, let's get more jazz happening. I would say so. And it's going to be, you know, it's getting the same digital mail out to all the radio stations that play jazz and stuff too. So, yeah. And with Inner Ocean, there is that intersection with they, they've more traditionally or historically done like instrumental kind of lo fi hip hop, like those that like lo fi beats to study and chill to kind of type of stuff, a higher caliber than like YouTube playlist stuff. But, um, I think that there's like an intersection there with them of like that is that is using jazz samples almost like Chill Evans type stuff, but maybe a little more polished than Chill Evans ever was. Um, and the jazz side of things, right? Like all the way to the other side of the spectrum, where like the David Lavoie Quartet record is David playing with a like a jazz quartet. It's all live. It's not like there's synth and sampled drums and stuff. It's all it was off the floor, I imagine. Yeah, it was. So Inner Ocean has has all that, but it all kind of feels mostly like jazz to me. So what's it like working with them? I've had a great experience so far, yeah. They're good. They're really fair, just super easy. They're a small label. They're actually based out of Calgary here, but they they mostly do cassette releases, and they have lots of 
contacts with stores in in Japan that sell lots of cassettes. It's a really it's a, it is a really nice experience. Like I think the risk with releasing on a label as a small artist, especially with electronic stuff, a lot of these labels are essentially like artist farms. They basically are just you know they 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 know you won't make any money and they know you're not really going to get much exposure, but they're just banking on you maybe, maybe getting famous, but they have like 400 artists that they can't really give the time of day to, right? They can't like promote your album properly and they can't support you in any way or help take care of the artwork. And this is the direct opposite of that. They are, it seems pretty selective about who they put on the label and what stuff they release. And that means that they can do physical stuff like a cassette, which is a huge bonus. They took care of the artwork. They took care of the mastering. Um, and we're all just like really, you know, communicative and and helpful through the whole thing which i think is more rare than it should be but it was a pleasant surprise for me i think on my side having kind of had both versions of the experience there has to be some acknowledgement on the, on the label side that you also need the artist it's a partnership it's not a i think oftentimes in that kind of label farm model the label feels like they're doing the artist a favor essentially even though they are taking a, a, usually a large percentage of, of mechanical royalties, there's this like, oh, you wouldn't be heard if it wasn't for us. And so you're just being put out here. And so it's sort of, there's this like, oh, you're lucky to be here kind of attitude from some labels. Um, and I think what felt really good about this experience was the knowledge of a partnership. Like a label isn't a label without artists to be released on. If you're working with an artist, you should be excited about them and, and excited about the music on some level but i think yeah just like maintaining that feeling of of partnership of like you know an artist provides music and and you know royalties to a label and a label should provide some sort of platform often now in the streaming age it's about exposure as well like a label usually has a larger platform uh than the artist himself so you want to benefit the artist that way because everything else falls into that everything else like you know making sure the artist feels taken care of that falls into the partnership side of things. Like, hey, how can we make sure that both sides feel like they're getting what they need from this arrangement? Yeah, I would agree with Carson on that one. I don't really have much to add about that. I haven't done very many releases on on labels. Like, this is the first two I've ever had, and I've never had a bad experience with a label. You've got a lot of tracks this time, more than the last time I asked Carson to break down track titles. But what can you share about how you named some of these tracks? Yeah, since Chilevens has always been a bad and quick process. Like that's why we don't know the names of the songs very much. Like I think oftentimes, and it's the same as with Chill Evans, the Ableton track, the Ableton project name will just be something that reminds us of what the song is. So usually it's if it's a sample, it's the name of the sample. If it's a, like a rough kind of mood or whatever, uh, we can we'll name it something like that. And then usually there's such bad titles on the Ableton project name that we couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly use them. And then it's like an association game usually from that, like word association. we probably named all these tracks in a half an hour though. We just sat down one day after they were all done. I will say like, there's a couple on there that, you know, like there's the title track Urban Repurpose where that was kind of a, we felt like it was a bigger effort, I guess, than the rest of the songs. Um, And it had like, I think it has like cello pads and stuff on it. And it was like, okay, this will be the title track. Like that made sense to me. And then there's like another tune called My Name. And I think that we had like these imaginary lyrics that were never recorded that would go along with it. Cause it goes like, 
and it was like you don't know my name or something but it was just how we conceptualized uh the name of that song for example that was actually another one we another technique we used to name some chilevin stuff is like what if we were like rapping along to it or what if we had trying to look at the other names to see if there's anything some of them are just like vaguely um you know to use the phrase but a mood like screen door i think was like vaguely summery or like hot weather i don't know something like relaxed about it yeah it's like imagery i guess for granted we that's uh, there is a sample on for granted and it's a grant green sample that's that's why that one's there that's just a pun oh i love that you went into like the lyrics imagined and the quick naming and stuff because i identify with all that too on a lot of my tunes I always start with like a phonetic name, like I'm writing instrumentals all the time, right? But I come up with some kind of phonetic phrase that goes with like the key hook or maybe the end of the melody. And then that's how I keep track of the tunes. And then maybe I rename them later. Maybe I don't. Like I have tunes on my album called Aim to Stay and Stop Me If You've Heard Enough. Those are tracks one and two. And those are both phonetic names. And those ones didn't get changed. Well, actually, you know, Carson, this is an example of bad naming because it's actually a Ted Green solo. Like that we sample is Ted Green. Oh, is that Grant what it was? Not Grant Green. Yeah, for real. So I actually <laughs> so found we called, that out that's after why. we... It's because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we called... It's because... <laughs> I don't know for not knowing what the sample is. That's really funny. It's yeah. because we named, we named the project something about green. And then I think just like... It was months after we first sampled anything. We don't, you know, the, the original sample file is gone. It's just now we had to have this track that's called Green Something. And I knew there was a sample. And I'm so, so I'm sure I just assumed like, yeah, it's a Grant. It's got to be Grant Green. Yeah. If Grant it's, Green's if it's, a guitar player. No, Grant it's... Green is a guitar player. There's a guitar sample. It's called Green. Uh, yes, I guess it wasn't, it wasn't so. You talked a lot about the music production steps. You talked a little bit about what it's like to work with Inner Ocean. But can you go into the business steps between finished product and release we had to deliver uh final mixes to them we had come up with some album art because we were planning on self-releasing up until we decided to do do it through label but they didn't end up using that they they ended up making their their own their own um album art art for us they also made like animations and stuff so we we didn't really have to do too much and it was honestly like our first time mixing ourselves um so that was kind of an adventure but yeah there's just a bit of back and forth with the mastering process and then it was like okay cool when we first kind of started the conversation with with Corey at inner ocean i think david started more even like vague like hey i'm working on something else it's a little more electronic it's maybe closer to hip-hop but it's still definitely jazz would you be interested he said yes we're interested so we sent demos unmixed i think was what we first did basically just to gauge whether they were interested or not because if they were that basically changes the whole the whole process right if we were going to self-release we probably would have been on a completely different timeline and honestly maybe a little less polish on it like i'm trying to think of how we would have managed to pay for mastering we probably would have just tried mastering ourselves which would have gone poorly um so then once he was interested he's liked the demos we decided we'll mix them ourselves um i wanted to kind of get some practice doing that and i had just from the Twitter France stuff, I have some of the plugins needed to get an okay mix. Um, sent those to him. Yeah, he liked him. He thought that he, we basically asked for any revisions on the mixes. I think he wanted 
there's like some gain stage and stuff to change or something. But yeah, and then they took care of the mastering for us, which is, I don't think that's necessarily standard. I, I've seen it both ways where you can send with Tour de France, we did a release on a label, we sent them a, a mix once and they mastered themselves. Uh, some places expect a mastered version. They want you to take care of mastering. That's less common. And I think that's more kind of on the, like the label farm side of like, they really are just their value prop is is platform and so you're basically paying them both in mechanical royalties and in taking care of your own mastering in order to just like be on their label yeah we also had to like sign an agreement with them and they they needed some information so that they could set us up with artist profiles and and stuff either as a team or individually after this release what are you working on next we've talked a little bit about what's next for this project i don't know we don't have a name for what we're calling ourselves post chill evans but the urban repurpose project or just carson Poirot and david lavois we've talked about kind of going if if urban repurpose was like a step forward past like just sample based chill evans we want to maybe take that another step from you know into maybe even slightly more experimental or or in talked about mixing different genres david plays post-punk maybe even more improvising less loops these are just ideas we tossed around. I mean, who knows what what it'll actually come out? We don't have much in the way of uh, product yet to <laughs> to confirm that. Yeah, Tour de France is still writing quite a bit, and I guess I'll just see what shows happen in the in the late fall and summer for me, or sorry, late summer and fall. Yeah, I'm I'm constantly making stuff just for no reason. I just have like a folder on my computer called like uncategorized projects and I, sometimes i send them to carson and i'm like hey do you think this is a song or like an idea or whatever so there's there's the start of this new like the next thing for us is is just sending each other stuff to look at and and deciding what the concept is but we're at the very early stages of that right now i'm recording an album in my basement for a new band that's like kind of post-punk stuff that i've written here i don't have a name for that band yet uh, and i'm I'm also trying to put together like a jazz quartet or i guess maybe a trio here to try and start writing some jazz stuff again like straight ahead jazz stuff okay i think i want to go out with this i'm gonna stage this one more than the previous questions thanks for your time today i'm gonna start with carson here because he's gonna catch this vibe right away and then it'll go on to david but what i'm curious about capturing from this moment in time is like what your day-to-days look like and how you actually fit music into those hours and what those routines are like and i'm ending with this because i know that carson and i are both longtime listeners of the podcast called conversations with tyler and so i want to know what are the carson toro and david lavois production functions yeah i mean my day as a musician and human looks a lot like another anyone i I work a nine-to-five job right so i I start my day uh actually i'll often start by opening ableton before i even get to work and just have a look at whatever i was doing the previous time i was working um maybe that means even just playing a little bit of keyboards and and just you know not doing anything serious start my work day at like 8 a.m go till about 4 30 um and then i if I get time in the evenings, if I'm not kind of busy doing other leisure activities out and about or whatever, I'll yeah try to get some writing done in Ableton. That usually means 
Tour de France or this project, just kind of having a look at something, uh, some some kind of project that's on the go, making some changes, a bit of messaging back and forth with a collaborator. Practicing drums in the evening sometimes if I get when I get time. I think this year with with COVID, it's been kind of hard to make time for for practicing my instrument because it's for a while it felt like practicing for what you know it was like there's no there was no shows on the horizon and now that that's starting to open up I feel like I'll be a little more diligent about practicing my instrument but yeah it's just kind of about fitting it in the gaps I think of of my normal my normal life of just you know fitting as, as much music as I can yeah so I moved I moved to Calgary like a year ago and things have been different here I mean like moving during a pandemic has been very weird and not meeting people and, you know, trying to set things up in a, in a new city without meeting people in person is like pretty difficult, but obviously now things are opening back up and I'm meeting more people. So that's good. But, uh, I'm right now totally freelance freelancing it. And I teach a lot of guitar and I teach a lot of trumpet and I also do a lot of music production work for a big company that does like plugins for, for DAWs and stuff. So I'm doing lots of like MIDI work. Um, so yeah, you know, I'll wake up uh, pretty, not that early <laughs> and I'll like do a bunch of music production work and then probably take my dog to the dog park with my, my wife and, you know, come home and do a bunch more work. Um, I'm not teaching as much right now in the summer. So I've got kind of like, other projects going on like recording this album and just trying to juggle all that there's quite a bit happening all the time with me um i i'm anticipating playing live trumpet soon so i've been kind of like hammering the trumpet a lot recently trying to get my chops back up um so i can play live um but aside from that uh, my my wife does ceramics, so we we built a studio in the garage at our our place here. And like sometimes I'll have to do a little bit of work on the garage or do a bunch of woodworking and stuff. That's kind of another thing I do. So I'm just all over the place. Basically, I'm a I'm a mess and I'm uh, spread too thin. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Gonna end it there. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Thanks, Will. Thanks. Thanks for having us. If you like this podcast, subscribe to get more from wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star review if you can, and tell your friends to find the Rhythm Changes podcast in their app of choice. And if you really like this kind of thing, go to rhythmchanges.ca to learn more about what we do, or visit patreon.com slash rhythmchanges to support us directly. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the Rhythm Changes podcast. Rhythm Changes is a Chernoff Music production.